I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topic ranging from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice and beyond. In order to provide a nuanced, educational, and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. Before I start, I would like to do a land acknowledgement that this podcast episode is being recorded on the stolen Creek and Muscogee lands. All right, so today I am going to attempt to tackle a very complex subject, um, which is whiteness. Um, And I will start with sharing a story. I was in a space where white folks were meeting to try to learn more about their, you know, white identities, almost like an affinity space. And um, someone posted something in a group email that was problematic. And I reached out and we decided that we would meet and have a phone call. And we get on the phone call, actually a Zoom call. And this woman says, why are all these like, she basically was suggesting that the people in the group are were somehow pathetic for examining their whiteness. She was suggesting, um, why are these white people like spending all this time in a room talking about their whiteness? Why don't they just go out and be friends with black people like me? I have all these black friends. I have all these black colleagues. I'm already living the dream of, you know, being whatever her terminology would be not, you know, anti-racist, or she would probably say not racist. I don't know. Why are people, what's this need for examining whiteness? And she said it in such a way, and based on a lot of the other things that she had shared, which were all very much centering the white experience and white feelings and white comfort, that I found it very difficult to have a conversation with her because she wasn't actually open. She, she, she saw herself as different from the other white people in that group and did not think that she had anything to explore in terms of her identity as white because she you know, had black people in her life who she claims are her friends and colleagues. So I don't know what their experience is like with her as their friend. Um, but I do know that a lot of what she was saying was really problematic and she wasn't actually interested in, in learning anything from me, uh, because everything I would suggest she would deny. And also she explicitly told me, she thought that the group was kind of un, un, unhelpful and, I want to say she used the word pathetic. I mean, it was, it was pretty wild. So why do we care about whiteness? What is whiteness and how is it maybe different from a white person? And how do, how does that, how did that, how does that intersect? Because when we're talking about whiteness, we're not necessarily talking about white people and we're also talking about white people. And, um, So I'm going to read a definition from the National Museum of African American History and Culture, uh, a Smithsonian Museum, on their website that I will put um, a link to in the show note. And 
Um, I'm just going to kind of read what it says so that we have that as a common definition as I move forward. So whiteness and white racialized identity refer to the way that white people, their customs, culture, and beliefs operate as the standard by which all other groups are compared. Whiteness is also at the core of understanding race in America. Whiteness and the normalization of white racial identity throughout America's history have created a culture where non-white persons are seen as inferior or abnormal. This white dominant culture also operates as a social mechanism that grants advantages to white people since they can navigate society both by feeling normal and being viewed as normal. People who identify as white rarely have to think about their racial identity because they live within a culture where whiteness has been normalized. Thinking about race is very different for non-white persons living in America. People of color must always consider their racial identity, whatever the situation, due to the, due to the systemic and interpersonal racism that still exists. Whiteness and its accepted normality also exist as everyday microaggressions towards people of color. Acts of microaggression include verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults towards non-whites. Whether intentional or not, these attitudes communicate hostile, derogatory, or harmful messages. And then there's a quote from Toni Morrison where it says, in this country, American means white. Everybody else has to hyphenate. This article goes on to talk about a lot of other things such as white privilege, but I wanted to stop there because whiteness is something that is everywhere. It shows up everywhere. I am constantly on the lookout for it. I'm bringing it into spaces. Why? Because I'm white and I cannot come into a space in any identity without bringing my whiteness with me. So I will share uh, an experience that I had in to, to further um, dissect this or, or to, to explain it. Uh, I took a course called Race and Resilience that was led by Michelle Cassandra Johnson and Carrie Kelly. Um, and I will link to their uh, website as well. Love, uh, have loved every, every training I've done with them. And one of the exercises we did was like examining the messages we were taught about ourselves as children and, and growing up and, and, and who we are in the world and, and what, what we are and how we see ourselves, how we should see ourselves. And I was and comparing what that's like for a white child versus a black child. What I was taught when I was young as a white child, and now I'm Jewish, so I was always taught that I'm different, um, and I always felt different. Um, I'm Canadian, so I always felt a little different from like the American culture I grew up in, and I still pass as white. So what I was taught was still in the in the underlying umbrella and the, you know, the umbrella of whiteness. So I was taught that I'm trustworthy. I was taught that I am safe. I was taught that I can be anything I want to be. And that when good things happen to me, I deserve them. And that hard work gets me wherever I want to go. Um, I was taught that I, that the world was at my fingers um, and, and so many other things like that. And so it might be helpful for you to take a moment to think about what you were taught growing up, whatever your identity is. If, if, um, if you're listening to this, uh, whatever your identity is. So I just 
show up in the world assuming that I'm trustworthy. I show up in the world assuming that I am safe. And then of course, by by like conversely or by default, there can't be one thing being safe without something else being determined to be unsafe or thought to be unsafe. So as I'm being taught that I am all these things, I have every right to go into a store and get a certain kind of service. I have a right to drive my car and not get pulled over for things that I don't agree with. And that's like an overused example, I know, but it's so, so relevant, but white privilege shows up in, in so many other ways and whiteness shows up in so many other ways. So when are black children being raised to think about themselves through these, um, what the, what the Smithsonian article was talking about how whiteness exists as everyday microaggressions towards people of color. So Michelle Johnson, who is, um, one of the facilitators of the group, um, who's a black woman was sharing her lived experience. And I'm not going to go into details of that, but it was very different from mine. She was taught very different things than I was taught. And, and to sit in that training as a white person and to hear the, the things that are taught to explicitly and implicitly to black children and having them be so, so very different than my experience, there's no way to ignore it. There's no way to ignore that whiteness is a thing. I am a white person. I do think I'm, I hope that I'm lovely. I do try to, you know, be a good person um, and uh, do right in the world. And I bring my whiteness everywhere I go. As much as I'm working to understand it and dismantle it, I still bring it everywhere I go. <clears throat> when I went on my um, allies in action training in 2019, uh, led by Leslie Mack and Paige Ingram, um, which I will also link um, in the show notes. Um, I had this realization after kind of like a bit of an emotional shutdown because we were talking about uh, meditation and because I'm a meditation teacher as well. And that was my first professional foray outside of practicing medicine and I had been told, like, I'm this doctor that became a meditation teacher. Like, therefore, I deserve trust and an admiration and, um, and, and that I should just walk into a space and people should trust me because I'm the doctor who became a meditation teacher. And when I was sort of challenged there that, like, that's whiteness showing up, it took me a moment to realize, like, I don't, I didn't earn anything. I don't. I don't deserve anybody's trust unless I explicitly earn it. But for me growing up as a white person, I sort of just believe that I'm trustworthy and that now as a doctor and then turn meditation that I'm like something special. And maybe I am special in other contexts. I'm not saying that I'm not like, you know, haven't done some interesting things in my life, but like, I truly believed that I just deserved to be trusted. And that is not the experience for everybody in this world. So um, another way I have seen whiteness show up in my life. So I, um, at, during, um, COVID I 
went for walks. This is the house that I lived in before where I live now. And I'd go for walks a lot and I'd see some black people and I'd see some white people and I would smile at everybody. And I would sometimes get a smile back from the white people. And I would often get sort of like a half smile from some of the black people I was walking by. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Like we're all allowed to like react and how we want to react. And then I went for a walk in that exact same neighborhood with my friend who was a black woman. And I saw a difference in the way that black people were greeting us on the street. We both smiled and, and said, hi, and people lit up and said, hi, and black people I'm talking about specifically lit up and said, hi, and, 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 you know, waved very different experience than when I was walking by myself. Now I could look at that and be like, black people don't like white people or like they are mean, or why don't they like me? But what I was able to see through examining whiteness, which is super and, you know, very important to do, and hopefully I'm proving that point is that whiteness is dangerous. And I hadn't, I had seen that and whiteness allows me to walk around the neighborhood thinking that I'm safe and that I'm the one that needs to worry if other people are safe or not safe, whatever my biases are, whatever I've been taught about safe and not safe. But the news is, it's not news, it's news to white people, whiteness is dangerous. Whiteness, and that's kind of the opposite of what we're taught, but whiteness itself, whiteness allows people to be, Black people to be lynched for looking at a white woman the wrong way, for harming, uh, you know, for, for allegedly, you know, all of this is alleged, for allegedly touching a white woman, for allegedly doing all these things that would potentially harm white women, when as, whereas those things didn't, weren't, weren't true. The white woman is the one that's the dangerous one because she can say or do anything. She can cry and everyone's going to rush to her and, and make sure she's comfortable and conversely punish whoever it is that has made her uncomfortable. So me showing up in the world, going for a walk, I'm the dangerous one. I am not safe. I am not trustworthy until I prove myself as trustworthy. And I thought it was so interesting to kind of have that almost behind the scenes look at the way that my presence impacts people as a white woman. And I can come and I can say all the things and I'm anti working to be anti-racist and this and that. I still don't, I still haven't earned anyone's trust until I've earned their trust. I don't get to say that. And so I think that it's important for us to think about as white people, um, how am I impacting this, the, the room that I'm in, the community that I'm in, the, the environment that I'm in just by showing up. If I walk into a post office, I'm representing white people because I'm white. And if I act like, you know, a pain and I'm mad about certain things, or I act like I don't have time to wait in line and everyone else should have time to wait in line or that I'm somehow special. That's dangerous. I am, I am causing harm as I'm there. And I am continuing to propagate 
the way that whiteness display the whiteness shows up in the world. Whiteness can also look like white centering. One of the one of the points of contention in that in that group um, that I mentioned at the beginning, the problematic comments were about an interview between Nicole Hannah Jones, uh, who was the creator of the 1619 project, and um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, uh, Chris Wallace, the CNN guy who's white. And the email suggested that black people need to basically give a be give some grace to white people re referencing Nicole Hannah Jones um in the in the interview but also bigger picture. There was all this concern about Chris Wallace's feelings and and why he might be feeling the way he felt or say the things that he said and there's this was like totally centering whiteness there. Like what's his experience? Let's make the white man comfortable. And that happens all the time in this world. And, and the, the question is, why aren't we centering blackness? Why aren't we centering the black experience? Why aren't we centering both equally? But like, let's start with the black experience. What's it like for her, a black brilliant journalist creator to come on and have, you know, show up in a room with this very um, prominent white male, older newscaster, um, news celebrity, or, or however we would describe him. And, and, and was he hard on her rather than was she hard on him? And where's the grace for her? And so I think kind of summing up everything, we cannot anti-racism work anti-oppression work is not just about white identity. And I don't know if it's possible to truly engage in anti-oppression work without exam deeply examining whiteness. And for each in white individual, white passing individual doing this work, really non-Black individual, anyone who carries any bit of Whiteness shows up actually in everybody. It's in, it can be internalized, but this isn't just white people. This is whiteness and white people are a part of whiteness. So how am I going through the world feeling normal? And then am I giving, how much attention am I giving to people who do not have my skin color and what is their experience? We have to understand that. We have to understand that as a white child, I was not taught about race in the context of whiteness. I was taught that race is about blackness or non-white races. Again, that's using whiteness as the norm. And so, you know, people, if you're listening and you're white and you're having some reactions to what I'm saying, that's normal. And whatever I'm saying that's causing the reaction, that generally is a sign that there's something in there that needs to be examined. So just like take my, just like go read about it if you haven't already. Well, me and white supremacy is a great, um, is a great way to start. Layla Saad, amazing book, um, which I will link also. Um, take a course on you know, join a, join a, a, a affinity group that, that ex explores white identity. 
um, know that we need to be the same way um, in the Smithsonian article, uh, it suggests that, it, it says that um, people of color must always consider their racial identity, whatever the situation, due to the systemic and interpersonal racism that still exists. White people need to do the same. We don't, we're not forced to do so by the white dominant culture that we live in. And we really should be thinking about how our race shows up every day. How am I showing up? How can I be aware of how privilege is showing up for me? Not that my life has been easy, not that bad things haven't happened, et cetera. But how is whiteness showing up? How am I showing up as a part of whiteness in this moment? When I go out into the world, what does that look like for me? Remembering that whiteness is not normal. Whiteness is a construct that was created in order to justify chattel slavery. And it has only gotten more and more prominent and more and more dangerous. It has not gone away. And knowing that it is a construct and it is not real, we cannot, we have to do this work to dismantle whiteness in order to bring our society towards a more, to be more equitable and to eradicate oppression. I hope you found this to be helpful. This is by no means a full primer on whiteness. I'm sharing my own experiences, things that I've learned from incredible uh, black women, things that I have noticed in my life. And um, I hope that it was thought provoking for you. And I would love to um, hear any reactions you may have. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.